Peter Jackson, the world-famous director of Lord of the Rings, has produced a film like no other film, a film about World War I entitled They Shall Not Grow Old. This film uses modern techniques to reveal the nature of the Great War in ways that have hitherto not been possible. After the break, we'll talk about this exciting new film and the implications it has for the portrayal of history in film, today on Hijacking History. The grainy, silent, choppy newsreels of 1918 make the First World War, or the Great War as it was known then, seem to be two or three hundred years ago, not just one hundred years past. We forget the technological changes that occurred in unprecedented giant leaps since that time. I think of my grandmother, born in 1889, a world without cars, movies, airplanes, antibiotics, and so much more, and wonder about the fact that she not only lived to see men walk on the moon, but survived almost a generation past that event, dying in 1987. More scientific and technological change occurred in her lifetime than in all the generations before her combined. But returning to World War I, what Peter Jackson has done is to replicate the magic trick to the closest degree and with the greatest integrity possible of going back in a time machine and refilming the actual events of the war that you see in Charlie Chaplin-like clips only with a modern high-definition camera. Of course, he could not literally do that. But what he could do, and what he did do, is to apply modern techniques to those original films, in the process producing essentially the identical outcome he would have gotten with a modern camera and a trip back to the past. Mind you, this is not your father's colorizing, so familiar to television viewers who watched the gimmicks of I Love Lucy and the Honeymooners reproduced in pastel colors. Colorization got a bad name from the failure to reproduce the colors of the actress accurately. Who really cared if Lucy really wore a blue or a green dress? The fact that it was a fictional show seemed a ready-made excuse for justifying the reimagining of the images, one not without logic. But of course, truth really does matter when it comes to history. An even more serious objection was that the colorizers, who were technicians more than artists, were superimposing their artistic vision, such as it was, on the creative work of others, thus altering and disfiguring the original concept. For example, Orson Welles paid close attention to the use of black and white shading in Citizen Kane, a concept lost when it was colorized, and came out in a form that was essentially someone else's creation. Jackson's vision is different. He reverses the order of purpose represented by colorization. With colorization, the goal was precisely to give the viewer a false representation of the original, which was regarded as bad because it was black and white. The colorized version was supposed to be better because it was prettier than the original, no matter if it really looked like that. People whose skin really was the color of the colorized Lucy and Ricky 
would probably have been dead or in a hospital. The objective is precisely the reverse with Jackson's raw materials. The original World War films themselves were false representations from the start because of their technical limitations. The goal was to restore what the cameraman had actually seen through his lens but could not accurately record on his film. Filmed with hand-cranked cameras that lacked the ability to record enough frames per minute to reproduce a scene in a lifelike way, the original films present us with a montage of lightning-fast people in robotic and jerky motion. Their lips move, but they say nothing. A fellow historian once told me that a thousand words is worth more than a picture. These original films prove that point. They try to get us to believe a falsehood that World War I really looked this way, or that, if it did not, it is the closest we will come to know how it actually appeared. Of course, any manipulation of old films is a fraught affair. Changes can lead to more distortions, but they can also lead to a more faithful and accurate rendering of how the war appeared to those who experienced it. In Jackson's hands, we get the latter. First, he uses technology to replace the missing frames with proximate frame facsimiles, thus slowing the motion to a realistic pacing that is amazingly true to life. Graininess is completely eliminated from many clips. The result is a series of scenes that look like they were filmed yesterday, populated by people so familiar-looking that we might think we could call them on our cell phones. Second, he hired professional lip readers to decipher the things that many people were saying in the silent films and dubbed them with actors' voices based on these findings. Not a perfectly accurate sleight of hand, but one that does bring us closer to the full reality than what we have today, which falsely sends the message that the World War I generation inhabited a silent world. Jackson worked from a hundred hours of newsreel footages of British soldiers from the Imperial War Museum, hundreds of hours of recordings of British veterans of the war, compiled in the 1960s and 1970s, were used to background the video footage. These audio recordings further increased the accuracy of color selection as the veterans described their equipment and uniforms, down to their buttons. Even the lip-syncing was characterized by attention to detail. When a unit was identified, the voices were those of actors from the same region from which the unit had come. Since Jackson lacked the budget to colorize the entire documentary, he begins the film in black and white and switches to color for the middle wartime scenes. In addition, Sounds of explosion and the like were added with modern audio techniques. Finally, the digital film was given three-dimensional effect to lend a sense of immersion to the film. They Shall Not Grow Old is clearly a film like no other. If you follow this podcast, you know that there is a special focus here on the Holocaust, what in some ways was the offspring of the Great War. While the Great War may or may not be the pivotal event of the 20th century, many consider the Holocaust to be a pivotal event in the modern history 
of Western so-called civilization. What would the Jackson Method, if applied to the Holocaust, mean for our understanding of that subject? Arguably, films of the Holocaust were fewer in number than footage of World War I, and because they were of greater quality, digital improvement would not yield as much technical Digital improvement would not yield as much technical enhancement. While the Nazis worked hard to conceal their efforts, films were made of every aspect of the Holocaust, including the mass shootings in 1941-42, the death camps later, the mechanics and machinery of the killing, and more. Much more footage was taken of the uncovering and liberation of the camps. It is no doubt true that no one would want to see such scenes in more realistic detail, but what people want to see and what they need to see may not be the same thing. As those who lived through the Holocaust continue to leave the scene, in a few years there will be no one left to give an eyewitness perspective to this important subject. We need some way to collapse the years in between 1945 and our time. Jackson's methods offer one way to do that, and I think of a particular clip in the Holocaust, and that would be a film that was discovered in the early 1990s of Anne Frank in Holland. Anne Frank was observing a wedding of some friends, and she was watching from the upper floor window of her home when someone who was filming the wedding panned the camera up and filmed Anne Frank watching from the window. For a few precious seconds, Anne looks down in interest and then turns to say something to someone inside the house. It would be interesting if one of Jackson's lip syncers could find out what Anne said. Perhaps she said, come here and watch this. But whatever she said, it would be interesting to enhance the quality of the film so that it would appear like Jackson's World War I soldiers appear. People we might know. People we would need to care about. People we might know from our own families. People whose lives mattered. People whose lives should matter to us today. I hope that Peter Jackson considers this possibility and trains his focus on another factual event in addition to making the terrific films that he makes on fictional subjects such as Lord of the Rings. We need this type of approach more and more as people learn visually more than they learn by reading. We can encourage both activities and it seems to me that we must if we can bridge the divide between past and present. Thanks for joining me for this episode of Hijacking History. I'm Rick Ryman, your host for this series. I'm a professor of history and author of The New Deal and American Youth. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to my podcast, the link to which is at historyrevisited.blueberry.net. That's historyrevisited.blueberry.net.
blueberry, that is B-L-U-B-R-R-Y, dot net. Here you can post comments on any or all episodes. I would be honored to read your comments. Until then, happy remembering.